The passage we're reading this morning is from Luke chapter 1, from verse 26 to verse 56. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words, at his words, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him a throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked. The angel, since I am a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word come to me, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried down to the hill country of Judea. where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in a womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child who you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is the one who has believed that the Lord would, be, um, would fulfill his promise to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been merciful to the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Thanks, Nigel. Good morning, everybody. Let's pray as we come to to God's word. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Father God, we do thank you that your word is trustworthy, that it will never fail. We pray that this morning that we would trust in your word, we would listen to it spoken and revealed to each one of us, and we would respond in the same way as Mary, we would respond with humble 
submission and obedience and trust that in our souls we would glorify you and in our spirits we would rejoice in you. Amen. Well, it's only a few days now to go before the, um, the big day. I'm sure you know what I'm referring to. And I guess if you were to summarize the, uh, the election campaign, uh, what one word or one issue would you say uh, summed it up? I probably would say it was trust, wouldn't you? Um, I remember watching the, the first head-to-head between Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn. And um, there was that moment when uh, Boris Johnson was asked how important he thought truth was. And Jeremy Corbyn was asked how he would vote in a referendum on Brexit. And in both cases, the audience laughed. There was a lack of trust in these people who were standing to be our new Prime Minister. Well, in our passage this morning, we read of someone who is completely trustworthy because he's God. He is all-powerful. He never lies. God always keeps his promises. As we've just heard, no word from God will ever fail. And the amazing thing about this story is the response of an insignificant young woman called Mary, who, when given the message that is so difficult to believe, that as a virgin she will conceive and give birth to the Son of God, she demonstrates an amazing humble trust. She goes on to express her joy in a song known as the, the Magnificat, in which she declares her desire to, to glorify God in her soul. There's a lot in this passage to teach us about trust and to teach us about God. And the first thing that we learn is that um, God is the only person who is fully trustworthy. And the first reason why we can trust God is that he's in control of everything. He is sovereign. Boris Johnson may have made promises by, about achieving Brexit by October the 31st, and may have tried hard to do that. But then it wasn't within his power. He wasn't in control of that process. But look here at the story. Look at verse 26 and what goes on here. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Not the angel Gabriel decided to, to visit Nazareth or happened um, to be passing by one day, but God sent Gabriel. God sent him at the time he decided, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, He sent him to the place he had decided, to Nazareth in Galilee. And God sent him to the person he had chosen, a virgin called Mary. God is showing his his sovereign control and power here. But he's also showing his sovereign grace. Why of all the women God could have chosen to be the mother of Jesus, does he choose Mary? Mary was no one special. She was one of thousands of young women alive at that time. She came from an insignificant little town called Nazareth. In Jesus' day, probably smaller than the Long Crendon. And yet God chose 
to favor her. Look at what it says in verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. It's not surprising that when Gabriel gives his greeting that, uh, that Mary, it says, is greatly troubled. She wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Well, Gabriel calms her down by saying, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. The same expression again, you are, you are highly favored, you have found favor with God. For us, it may sound a little bit, don't worry, Mary, you're in his good books. Um, you've obviously done something to impress him. Uh, you worked hard while you were at school. You helped out at home. Maybe you were kind to your neighbors. But for the God of the universe to, to find favor with somebody, it's not down to anything that we have done. It's that in his wisdom, he's chosen to bestow grace on us. Noah and his family didn't deserve to be chosen by God to survive God's anger in the flood, but they received his grace. Israel didn't deserve to be chosen as God's special nation, but they received his grace. Those of us here who are Christians didn't deserve to be forgiven, but we have received God's favor, his grace. We can trust God because of his sovereign power and his sovereign grace, but also because God is faithful to his promises. Gabriel says to Mary in verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He'll be great, and we call the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. As we were talking about earlier with the children, these names are not just random names. They, they mean something. Jesus, as we saw, means saviour. He will save the people from their sins. He is the promised Messiah. Son of the Most High means he will be powerful. Jesus is God. He is the same nature as God. The difference between Jesus the Son and God the Father is that Jesus the Son took on human flesh. He entered our world. There's the amazing story of, uh, of Christmas, that God should stoop so low as to enter the world of the people he made. But what is this reference to the, the throne of his father David and reigning over Jacob's descendants forever? Well, this is much more than just a throwaway line. This is the fulfillment of a promise that God made hundreds of years earlier. If we turn to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 7, you see it on the, the screen in front of you. Um, this is the promise that God made to King David. He said, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. The people of Israel have been waiting hundreds of years for this promise to be fulfilled, and now the arrival of the promised king who will reign forever is imminent. God is faithful to his promises. He can be trusted. As it says in verse 37, no word from God will ever fail. 
If God has said this is going to happen, then you can trust him because he's powerful and he keeps his promises. And that should give us a huge encouragement, shouldn't it? But let's have a look at how Mary uh, responds to this amazing news and what we can learn from her response. And that is a humble trust in God brings joy to the believer and glorifies God. The news that the angel gives Mary is quite staggering. And I'm sure there would have been lots of thoughts going around her head. But her immediate response is, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, it's not like Zechariah's lack of faith that we looked at last week. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were a married couple um, wanting to have a baby. And up to that point, it hadn't happened. Mary's question is a genuine one. How, how will it happen if I'm a virgin? And so the angel explains, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. It will happen miraculously. And that is something that many people, even those who who call themselves Christians, find difficult to grasp. Um, Many will try to find ways to explain away the virgin birth. But to reject the virgin birth is not only to reject the, the accuracy, the authority of the Bible, it's to deny that Jesus is God. And when you do that, you deny the essence of, of Christianity. How significant is the fact that Mary is a virgin? Well, obviously, she had to be in order to demonstrate that the conception of Jesus in the womb uh, was not by man. She conceived a child whose father was God himself. But it also shows that although she wasn't sinless, as some may think, because all, all humans are born sinful, she was sexually pure. She hadn't slept with a fiancé or any other man. Now, sexual promiscuity, like any sin, can be forgiven by God. But God chose a virgin to be the recipient of his most precious gift, uh, which shows that sexual purity before marriage, however Countercultural, it may be in this day and age, is important to God. Because it emphasizes that sex is a gift to be enjoyed within a loving, committed relationship. Well, in his graciousness, God also gives Mary further reassurance by telling her that uh, her relative Elizabeth is going to have a baby, even though she's too old to have children. Um, and then the angel finishes with these words, for no word from God will ever fail. Well, Mary's received the explanation, so how does she now respond? Well, she demonstrates an amazing trust, doesn't she? Well, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. May it be to me as you have said. I don't really fully appreciate the enormity of what you're saying to me. I can't get my head around how I could possibly become pregnant as a virgin. I don't know how much fiancé will treat me let alone others. I don't know how I live up this responsibility of being the mother of the Son of God. And yet I do believe that nothing is impossible with God. I do believe you are in control of what will happen, and therefore I submit myself to your will. As Elizabeth says later on, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. It's a faith that accepts that we, we won't understand everything. 
But we don't need to. If we did, we would be God. But it's a humble acceptance that God will do what is best, even if we don't understand. Well, the next thing we're told is that Mary goes off to visit uh, Elizabeth, probably the one person who will understand the immensity of, of what has just happened, since she herself has been blessed in a miraculous way. We're not told um, whether Elizabeth already knows the news, but when Mary arrives, we're told the unborn baby John leaps in her womb, gives her a bit of a kick, and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. She's now become aware of, of what has happened, and she addresses Mary as the mother of my Lord. Mary shows that in believing there is great joy. And the remarkable thing, as, as many of you know, is that as we continue to believe, as we continue to grow in our faith, then we continue to grow in joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. If we haven't got joy, then maybe there's something in our faith that is lacking. But let's have a look at how Mary expresses her joy in her song. Look at verse 46. And the reason this song is commonly known uh, is as the Magnificat is because that's the first word of the song in the Latin translation, which has been translated here as glorifies, but in other translations is magnifies. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. As John Piper says, there are two kinds of, of magnifying. There is microscope magnifying, and there is telescope magnifying. A microscope makes a small thing like an insect look bigger than it really is. A telescope makes a thing that is already big, like a star, begin to look as big as it really is. So when David says in the Psalms, I will magnify God with thanksgiving, he doesn't mean I will make a small God look bigger than he is. He means I'll make a big God begin to look as big as he really is. But how does a soul magnify God? Well, it's when in our inner beings we become more aware and are more convicted of the greatness, the holiness, the mercy of God. And the natural response to that awareness of God's greatness is joy. The more we see God, the more we know God, the more we're filled with joy. And that joy is a deep-rooted contentment that is different from a short-lived feeling of happiness. We can keep that joy even when things in this life cause us to, to worry, even when they cause us pain. I wonder if you feel... A little in awe of Mary. Think of her as this perfect person who can do no wrong. Maybe we think that's fine for her to be rejoicing, but she hasn't experienced life yet. Whereas I've got so many worries, so many problems to deal with. Well, Mary is about to face a very difficult situation, isn't she? She uh, is engaged to be married, and yet she's pregnant. She faces the possibility that Joseph will break off the engagement and even subject her to public disgrace. But we don't see any sense of worry in Mary, do we? What we do see is an intense joy that overcomes any worry about what people might think. Any worry that her future life may be really tough. Because she knows 
She's been blessed by God. She's received his favor. I think one of the most powerful ways in which, as Christians, we can witness for God is when life's not going well. When we don't get the things we want. When things don't go the way we want them to. And yet we still remain joyful. By which I don't mean we just put on a happy face, pretend everything's fine. But that underneath the hurt and the pain, people can see an inner peace and contentment and a trust in the faithfulness of God. People see that those things that we have lost were important to us, but we didn't rely on them for our joy. They didn't take the place of God. The sad thing is it's often not the the big trials of life that cause us to lose our joy. It's, it's often the everyday mundane things that we get so worked up about. How do we stop ourselves getting worked up by such things and becoming joyless? By magnifying God. The bigger God becomes to us, the smaller and the less significant those things begin to appear. Humble trust in the Lord brings joy to the believer. But as we rejoice in the Lord, so also we glorify him. Because our joy in God demonstrates his sufficiency, his goodness, his mercy, his loving kindness. The birth of Jesus was the greatest event to have happened in human history. And God chooses an insignificant girl who has no social standing, no wealth, no experience. There's nothing special about Mary. And she knows that. She doesn't kid herself that she somehow deserves this. But there's something about her that God delights in. And it's that humility and that faith. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. And then she goes on to say, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She's not saying here, at least I'm humble in character. She's saying that the Lord has been mindful of the fact that I have nothing to offer. And Mary says in verse 48, have a look down. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. She's not saying, look at me. Because she goes on to say, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. It's all about him. It's nothing to do with me, she's saying. Any blessing I receive has nothing to do with me. I don't deserve any of this. Three times she mentions herself. Seventeen times she mentions God in this song. He's mighty. He's holy. He's merciful. He's so very different from me. And I want others to know just how great he is. His mercy extends to all those who fear him, she says. So we're not supposed to to worship Mary. She was a humble servant, a great inspiration, a great example in terms of humility and servanthood, but not an object of worship. And she knew that. And I think she'll be mortified if she saw how she is worshipped by many today. God blesses Mary. And is pleased that she trusts him and wants to glorify him. And it's a humble trust that God is looking for, not just in Mary, but in all his people. 
God blesses, God blesses all those who demonstrate a humble trust in him. I think there's a deliberate contrast here between Mary um, and Zechariah, who we looked at last week. Remember Zechariah had all the credentials, everything going for him. He was the, uh, the priest in the temple, surrounded by all those visible signs of, of a living God. Day after day, he was reminded of the power of God through the scriptures being read and taught. He was serving right at the heart of Israel. It was Mary was a nobody from the despised region of Galilee. Even one of Jesus' disciples, um, before he followed Jesus, said, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Both Zechariah and Mary are given a word from God. But whereas Zechariah struggled to believe, Mary faced with something even more unbelievable, showed a simple trust in God. You may be somebody here who feels, I have nothing to offer. I'm young in age, I'm not clever, I don't have uh, many gifts I can use. Um, Remember, God is most interested in your heart. Do you trust him? Do you love him? Whilst Mary acknowledges her lowly position, while she seeks to magnify God and minimize herself, there's another attitude that causes God to be angry. And it's the attitude of those who trust in themselves rather than God. And in Mary's song, we, we have a warning. Those who trust in themselves will be brought down. Such people have a low view of God and a high view of themselves. They're proud. And look at what God's response is to them. Verse 51, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Those who are proud in the sense of being independent, self-sufficient, self-confident, who say, I don't need anybody's help, thank you very much. Verse 52, he's brought down rulers from their thrones. Those who are proud because they have power. Maybe political power, maybe power within a company or other organization. They think they've got there through their own achievements. Verse 53, he sent the rich away empty. Those who are proud because they're wealthy and think they've generated all their wealth for themselves, their money can buy happiness and contentment. Why does God not choose such people? Because in our world, they would be the ones that the world would be putting forward, wouldn't they? Because they're the ones who are more interested in making themselves look good and showing they don't need God. It's in our natural sinful nature to seek our own glory, to do things in our own strength. We're all guilty of that. To magnify ourselves, to make ourselves look good in the eyes of others rather than making God look good. But if we continue in that attitude, then when we meet God on the day of judgment, we will receive the punishment that we deserve. But the good news is that we don't need to. We don't need to rely on ourselves. We have everything we need in God. And God wants to bless us. He wants to fill us with joy. He wants to lift us up, it says in verse 52. He wants to to fill us in verse 53. 
But he will do that only if we come to him in humility and emptiness. Come, coming seeking to be lifted up and filled and trusting that God will do that. Pride is trusting in our own ability. It's refusing to acknowledge our need for God. It's also about comparing ourselves with others. Um, being pleased about how we, we stack up against others. The trouble is most of us know that actually we don't stack up very well against others. Um, there are always plenty of people better than us at what we do. And so instead of pride, many people become gripped by anxiety and depression, which in some ways is a different form of, of pride. But Mary's response here is quite different, isn't it? She's not at all proud. She knows she's insignificant. But she's also not gripped by fear or worry that she's not good enough. What is it that frees her from that worry? Or is that God has accepted her? He's shown her favor, even though he knows that she's not worthy. She knows that she's not worthy. But if God has accepted her and blessed her, then it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks because she's valued in the sight of God. As we wrap this up and bring these things to a conclusion, the greatest freedom we can experience is the knowledge that God has forgiven us for trusting in ourselves more than him and wanting the glory for ourselves. That is the greatest freedom we can experience, to know that. The way he dealt with that was through the cross, through Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus humbled himself so that we might be lifted up, so that we might be considered righteous in the sight of God. And that freedom in Christ that we are about to celebrate in the Lord's Supper means we can therefore forget ourselves. We don't need to worry about our human failures, our lack of gifting, what people think about us. Because in the eyes of God, we are precious. And once we've accepted that, we can live lives of joy. Which, as Tim Keller says, we don't have to think either more of ourselves or less of ourselves. We just think of ourselves less. And the way we think about ourselves less is to think of God more. To magnify him. And we magnify God by recognizing his goodness, his love, his kindness. And by acknowledging that we are dependent on him for everything. And trusting that he will give us all we need.